like Carrie said, is the review of First and Second Timothy. And um, that's kind of a daunting task to say, okay, you've got 35 minutes to give us the whole, you know, summary of the uh, two books of the Bible. So what I did, I kind of cheated a little bit. <laughs> um, I used, I have two different commentaries that I really like, and one of them that um, I really thought kind of fit with how my outline was, because I first went through and made a big list and did my outline. But Warren Wiersbe um, divided 1 Timothy into four sections. And um, I'm just going to really quickly go through and give you kind of the summary of what I had on my outline with his um, outline uh, theme verses or, or uh, message. So the, uh, the first Timothy is really talking about how to manage the ministry of the local church. And the key verse, some, a lot of commentaries said this was the key verse, was 315b. You will know how people are to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Where do we know that from? That's, that's where we get our uh, theme for our church and the logo that we have, you know, as the pillars. So I thought that was really cool. Um, the first section of um, 1 Timothy is chapter 1. And the church and its message, that's what Paul was writing to Timothy about. And here we saw the warning, <clears throat> excuse me, against false teachers. We saw the purpose of the law and the need for a savior in that chapter. Um, in the second section, it was chapters 2 and 3. And we see the church and its members. And you'll remember, um, we looked at the importance of prayer uh, the instruction to women, where we learned that um, a quiet spirit and godliness is where our beauty lies. I remember Sean talked about uh, when we look in the mirror, we don't want to be so consumed about how we look. We want to make sure we reflect Jesus. We also saw the qualifications of our church leaders and that they are to be godly servants holding out the word of truth. So the third um, section in First Timothy was the church and its minister, speaking, you know, specifically to Timothy. This instruction was as the pastor that um, for Timothy, but we all are ministers of the gospel, and we are told to be self-disciplined in public and in private. Remember, someone's always watching us. We are to preach the word always. Doesn't matter if it's convenient or not. And we're to study, we're to teach, and we're to expose false doctrine. We're supposed to set an example, example for others as we grow in our faith. And we do that by examining ourselves and devoting ourselves fully to Christ Jesus. And that was in chapter 4. And then the last section was the church and its ministry. And this is chapters 5 and 6. This section instructs us about the officers in the church, the deacons and the elders, and, and those who are, um, say, on staff in the church. It talked about the care of widows, reminding us that, um, that we need to ask for help, but, but as, as the children of widows, the, the family of widows, we need to be offering help. Uh, it gave us warnings concerning money and our attitude about wealth and reminds us that we need to be rich in good works as we store up riches in heaven. 
So that was 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy was considered to be the preparation for the ministry in the last days. The key verse for 2 Timothy is um, from chapter 1. It's the second part of verse 14. And it says, I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have trusted to him for that day, meaning the last days. Well, the first section is chapter 1, and it's the pastoral appeal. We see the holy confidence of a faithful pastor based on the assurance of salvation and the conviction of the call upon his life. In chapter 2, we see the practical appeal. Here we have the soldier in God's army, the athlete competing according to the rules, you know, staying in your own lane. Um, we see the hardworking, resourceful farmer uh, patiently waiting for the fruit of his labor. And then we see the workman approved by God, correctly handling the word of God and standing up for the truth. We saw the vessel of honor being used of God for his glory and the servant gently leading others to Jesus Christ. And that was a great uh, lecture that we heard from Georgie Reed. I hope you took good notes because that's where I really gleaned a lot there. And then the third section in the outline was the prophetic appeal, and that's from chapter 3. This is where Paul warns, um, well, he warns throughout both of these books about the evil deeds and the false doctrines, um, false teachers. But here, Paul tells us there will be terrible times in the last days. And you'll remember I gave you 19 signs of apostasy or the opposition to the truth. We are to flee from ungodliness and follow Jesus. And we are to use the scripture, which is God-breathed, to end all debate. Applying his truth to our teaching, our rebuking, correcting, and training to live godly lives and help others do the same from chapter 3. And then finally, in the fourth chapter of 2 Timothy, it was a personal appeal. He said, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Always preach the word, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. We're to live our life as an offering to God. For he offered his only son to be sacrificed for you and for me. And as we were singing that last song, when it said that um, in the final days when I, my strength is failing, I thought of Paul and how he didn't pray uh, for God to rescue him. Um, he was still worshiping God. He was still wanting others to know Christ. And he was still continuing to pour out his life as a sacrifice. So that's the summary and the outline of the last two books that we've read. I'm sure you have all kinds of notes that you can refer back to. But what really was a challenge to me was last week, Carrie said, as we do our review lesson, she said, look for God as you review. Who he is, his character. And she said, be in awe of him and live a life worshiping our Savior. So I took her up on her challenge, and that's what I really want to talk to you about today. I made this list, two pages from two different books, First and Second Timothy, of all the places 
that talked about who God is and his attributes, his character. That's just two books, two small books, really, that we, we see so much about God. So who is he? Just going down the list as they appeared in the scripture, I'll, I'll give you my list. Number one, God is our savior. Jesus Christ is our hope. And we see in Hebrews 6.19, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Not an anchor that's you know, laying on the bottom of the ocean, but an anchor that's in heaven that we can hold on to. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Who leads us through the curtain? Christ. He is our hope. Psalm 146.5 says, Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Number two, God is our Father, and Jesus Christ is our Lord. From Ephesians 1.3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Number three, Jesus Christ is the one who came into the world to save sinners. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And in Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's amazing. He is king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only true God, and to be honor and glory forever and ever. Number five, from Second Tim, or First Timothy 2.5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Number six, he's our ransom. From verse 2.6, he gave himself as a ransom for all men. And how can you not think of John 3.16? In the third chapter of 1 Timothy, we see Christ appeared in body. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels, preached among the nations. He was believed in the world and taken up in glory. Christ is real. Number eight, he is a living God savior of all men who believe on him and we have put our hope in him because he lives he is a living god he is the giver of life he is coming again first john 3 2 says know that when christ appears we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is what a glorious day that will be he is the blessed hope the only ruler, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. He alone is immortal, and he lives in an unapproachable light who no one has seen or can see. Yet, we read in Revelation 2.13, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And it goes on to say in Revelation 22, 5, there will be no more night. There will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. 
for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Second Timothy has almost as many uh, uh, descriptions of who God is. Number one, God saved us and called us to a holy life, giving us purpose and power through his Holy Spirit. Number two, he's the destroyer of death. 2 Timothy 1.10 says, But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He's our guard. 2 Timothy 3.3 says, But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. And he has given us the Holy Spirit as a deposit or a guarantee of our salvation. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Number five, he's our commanding officer, and we strive to please him alone that's who we're focused on pleasing he was raised from the dead he reigns he is faithful he is our rescuer our redeemer our refuge he is our jesus is the righteous judge who will judge the living and the dead and will award a crown of righteousness to all who look forward to his second coming and you know what we do with those crowns when we get them? We lay them at the feet of Jesus. Well, so that's who he is. And that's just from First and Second Timothy. What is God's character? Well, number one, he's full of grace, mercy, love, and peace. Paul says that over and over again. He is glorious, and he is blessed. I liked when Pastor Chris was praying, we come to bless the Lord with our worship, but it's us who gets the blessing. He is generous. He pours out his grace abundantly, along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Number five, he is all-knowing. 1 Timothy 5, 24 and 25 says, the sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. God knows everything that we do. And number six, he keeps his promises. Number seven, he gives good gifts. Number eight, I love this one, he is faithful even when we are not. Number nine, the Lord knows those who are his. He is the good shepherd. He is forgiving. He is righteous. And he will bring us safely home to his heavenly kingdom. He is dependable. So, are you in awe of him? Just reading those things, it's just, it makes you want to just live a life of worship. God is the one who has given us the faith and the strength to believe. 
and yet he considers me faithful. He's given it to me, but he says I'm faithful. He entrusts this mystery to us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Who does that? It's just amazing. Then he prepares good works for me. He has unlimited patience as I attempt to carry them out. He uses my faith as an example to others who would believe. That's scary sometimes. <laughs> Unless I do everything as unto the Lord and in his power and his might. He wants us to ask him for every good thing. It says it pleases him when we pray, especially when we're praying for others and with thanksgiving. As a mom, I remember getting so tired of my kids always asking for something. And they would always, you know, they, they were talking to me, but they'd say, Mom, 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 Mom. It's like, oh my gosh. After a while, you would just want to scream and say, don't call me that. And, and just no to anything they say. Well, God never does that. He loves us when we call on his name. And we are to pray without ceasing. He calls us his own. And in 1 Timothy 3.13, it says, it tells us that we will gain an excellent standing and great assurance in our faith in Christ Jesus. That, to me, is like saying to somebody, Dad likes me best. Well, you know our Father does not have favorites, but he makes us feel that way, doesn't he? He adopts us. We are in his family. Verse 315 tells us we will know how people ought to conduct themselves. Remember, I read that. Which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Um, this made me think of something quite a few years ago. We had the privilege of Rob Harbeck living with us. as a um, uh, He was a, rented a room from us. And if you know Rob, he's one of our, I think he's the head usher, in fact. Um, he is the ultimate gentleman as far as I can see and he loves the Lord with all his heart um, he told me once that since his father was in the service that the family had lived on base quite a bit and um, his mom often reminded him of who he was before he left home every day she would say remember you're a Harbeck and so I asked Rob could I share that and he said oh yeah but it was mainly because she didn't want us to embarrass our father remember you're a Christian you are in the household of God and we would never want to embarrass our father in heaven we are to fear God to revere him to respect his wishes and live a life that glorifies him there is a mystery about our God one that reveals that he reveals in his word as we study the Bible and I often marvel, we were even talking about it, I think, with Marissa this morning. You can read a passage that you've read many times before, but you find a new nugget of truth just because of the circumstance that you're in. We'll never know all the mysteries until we see him face to face. I thought about my dad. He was a, a kind of an amateur magician. You know, we'd have family parties and, and get-togethers, and he would mainly do card tricks, but he did other little, you know, sleight-of-hand things. And 
before he kind of started using me as his assistant and showing me how the tricks were done, I was just amazed. I thought he really was magic. Um, but he started showing me, and I was his assistant. But even then, when I saw him do the trick, I still was amazed because I couldn't quite see how he did what he did. Well, God's hand in my circumstances amazes me just the same. Um, I thought about years ago, my car, I was driving my Jeep up to my mom's in Apple Valley, and I had just come through the Cajon Pass, so I was on the downhill, so that was kind of good. But all of a sudden, I heard a pop, there was smoke coming out of my car, and no off-ramp off in sight. So of course, you know, you start praying in a situation like that. Well, I don't know how God did it, but he got me off the freeway, and I just passed it yesterday because I was up there seeing my mom. That off-ramp goes up before it goes down to the street. I don't know how God got me. My, my engine was gone. He got me off the off-ramp and into a really safe street, and when I called the tow truck, he was there in like 10 minutes. Not only that, it was like 110 degrees that day. He put me in his nice air-conditioned truck. He was only supposed to drive me seven miles, but he drove me all the way to like right down the street from my mom. God was in it all the way. How does he do that? I don't know. <laughs> but that was God. Um, just about the time my husband started having trouble um, maneuvering stairs in our house here in Corona, um, it was a two-story home. God provided a beautiful one-story home, complete with a pool to do physical therapy in. Our God is an awesome God. How can we not praise him? How can we not live a life of worship for him? So think about this. Ephesians 1, 7 and 10, through 10 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. You don't hear that word very often. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, and which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Well, it's a fact that we have our redemption through his blood, that he loved us so much that he sent Jesus to suffer and die so that we might have a relationship with God. So we need to worship. We should bow down to this God. And I thought, picture God lavishing grace on you. What do you see? Well, <laughs> I love a good massage. And when they really lavish on the oil when they're doing it, oh, that is just wonderful to me. Um, one of my favorite scenes in the very first Star Wars movie, I don't know if you're a Star Wars fan, but uh, remember C-3PO? He got lost and they didn't know where he was. Well, they found him and he was being repaired. And at one point, they lowered him into this warm vat of oil. I think... Maybe because I have such dry skin or something, but to me, what a lavish experience that would be to just be put in that oil. Well, that's how I see God lavishing his grace on us, dunking us full body into his grace, if you will. 
Well, he gives us all understanding and wisdom just for the asking. And he reveals himself to us through his son, through his spirit, through his word, and through his church, you and me. Praise be to God, our Savior. And he has perfect timing. I know we get impatient at times, um, but like we studied, God's patience means salvation. I praise him that he waited for me and so many others that to come, be able to come to know him over just the, the last 35 years, say. And we know that he is coming again to bring about his perfect peace, unity to all things in heaven and on earth when Christ will reign. He is worthy of our love and our adoration. So let's live a life in worship to our King. I leave you with these verses. Psalm 145, 3 says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Ephesians 4, 1, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Colossians 1.10, live a life worthy of the Lord and please him every day, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Revelation 4.11, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. I stand in awe. Let's pray. Father, so many attributes, so many uh, ways that we can see you just in these two small books. We thank you and we praise you. And Father, as we continue to study your word, we just want you to impress upon us who you are, how we can serve you. Impress upon us the good works that you have planned for us and give us the power and the might to carry out your calling. Father, thank you that we are even given the privilege to uh, read your word, to know you better, to understand. And thank you for each lady present that as she has done her study and will be sharing in group, that we can glean even more about who you are and what you have done in our lives, Father. Help us to be a living testimony of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.